Currently, a child dies every minute from malaria. It had been every 30 seconds. It was every 90 seconds. It went up to every two minutes. And now it's back to a child dying every minute from malaria. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Today's episode is brought to you by the University of Denver's Joseph Corbell School of International Studies. Corbell graduates make the world a better place, working toward global solutions in climate change, international security, economics, development, and diplomacy. 95% of Corbell students get jobs after graduation, and Corbell alumni are power players around the world. Learn more about the seven different degree programs offered at the University of Denver Joseph Corbell School of International Studies by visiting corbell.du.edu. On January 25th, a milestone was reached in humanity's centuries-long fight against malaria. For the first time ever, a malaria vaccine was included in a country's routine childhood vaccinations program. Cameroon, a country with a high malaria burden, rolled out a new malaria vaccine for children, and other countries will soon follow. This comes on the heels of successful trials in Kenya, Ghana, and Malawi, which demonstrated the vaccine to be safe and effective in preventing malaria deaths among children. Joining me to put this milestone in context is Margaret McDonnell, Executive Director of United to Beat Malaria, a global grassroots campaign of the United Nations Foundation. We kick off discussing the burden of malaria around the world and have a long conversation about how this new vaccine fits into broader efforts to rid humanity of malaria once and for all. This is very much a good news story, and this episode I think is a good example of the kind of solutions-focused journalism that I really like to do here on Global Dispatches. So enjoy. Here is my conversation with Margaret McDonnell. So, Margaret, to help set the context for this conversation, can you explain the broad trends in the global fight against malaria over the last few decades? In particular, what have been some of the key trends around illness and mortality? The long game is that there's been incredible progress against malaria over the last 15 to 20 years. You know, malaria is one of the oldest and deadliest diseases known to humankind. But over the last 15 and 20 years, because of a lot of 
stepped up commitment, funding, the establishment of programs like the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria, the President's Malaria Initiative, et cetera, and a real priority from WHO and endemic countries, deaths have significantly decreased. So in the 40, 50% range in terms of deaths, and then and cases have also come down considerably. That said, the last few years, and this is reflected in the WHO's 2023 World Malaria Report, is that progress is starting to stabilize or even reverse in some places. And there's a number of factors that are at play here. I mean, of course, COVID had an impact on malaria and all global health programs, but we're also seeing the impact of things like drug and insecticide resistance, as well as, for example, now there's a new invasive mosquito species called Anopheles stevensi in Africa that presents some new challenges. And then, you know, frankly, we have record levels of displacement around the world due to conflict and then climate change. And so you have, you know, whenever a population is destabilized and has less access to health services, you know, case rates can go up and malaria is a particularly sensitive disease to climate and other things. So we're at a challenging time. Uh, We talk about how we really are at a crossroads. There's a lot of urgency, but the good news is, you know, with challenges and an urgency comes opportunities and there are reasons to be hopeful and optimistic. Yeah, I mean, it seems that one of the reasons to be hopeful and optimistic is the existence of new malaria vaccines. You know, you mentioned that after years of progress in the last couple of years, there has been almost flatlining or reversal of that progress. But now we have a new malaria vaccine that hopefully can spur more progress towards reducing and if not eliminating malaria. So I wanted to discuss that with you today, and in particular, the significance of Cameroon being the first country to include a malaria vaccine as part of its routine childhood vaccination program. But before we get there, can you give us a brief history of the long effort to introduce a safe and effective malaria vaccine? And I should say, I want to preface that, you know, there are other reasons for optimism just quickly, you know. Now there's 43 countries and one territory that have been certified as malaria-free. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Cabo Verde was certified malaria-free by the WHO and a number of countries in Latin America over the last several years have. And there are other innovations also that have been developed, like next-generation bed nets that help to overcome insecticide resistance. There's new tools like the vaccines, spatial repellents, and, and new drugs and diagnostics in the pipeline. So just to quickly say, I think the good news is that there are a lot of existing and enhanced or new innovations that are coming through to address some of the challenges that we face, as well as sort of a commitment to help better plan, predict, and build greater surveillance and resilience sort of in health systems overall. But yes, yeah, so the malaria vaccines it's super exciting. This is, you know, several decades in the making. So the two malaria vaccines have now been approved are actually the very first vaccines to address a parasitic disease ever approved by WHO. Parasites are really tricky and complicated to develop vaccines against. But what we're finding is that, you know, now we have two and the RTSS and R21, they essentially, they have pretty comparable efficacy. And RTSS now has, there's been the last four years has actually been piloted in Ghana, Malawi, and Kenya. And so 2 million children have actually received, you know, around 6 million doses of the vaccine. And 
It's proven to be incredibly safe, effective. We've seen significant reductions, like 13% reduction in mortality and significant reductions in terms of morbidity and severe malaria hospitalization. So very promising. And then with R21 coming on, that is exciting because it has a potential to significantly scale up the production of the vaccines. Is that because the R21 is partnered with the Serum Institute of India, which is like this massive vaccine production company? Exactly. They just have the ability to scale up at a level that wasn't in place with RTSS. So it's very exciting that I think they're saying that they can produce, I believe it's 100 million doses within the next you know year or so. But you know, it is important to note that all of this can only happen, you know, with significant funding. So what happened last week was incredible in terms of it's the first time that the malaria vaccine and specifically RTSS was integrated into a country's national immunization program in conjunction with the National Malaria Control Program. And so we saw that in Cameroon, really exciting. Um, You've probably seen, you know, the demand from Endemic countries, particularly in Africa, is very high. I believe 28 African countries have signed up, if you will. Um, And I think Gavi has approved maybe 20 so far to be able to get this kind of support. But what's important to know is that this isn't magic. Obviously, there need to be funding and resources behind it. And so the Gavi replenishment coming up in 2025, as well as, you know, other programs to support malaria are going to be incredibly significant, including, you know, the Global Fund replenishment, as well as, you know, our annual efforts to ensure that the President's Malaria Initiative have support. Because, you know, the bottom line is while the vaccine is very exciting and effective and safe and there's high demand, it's not a silver bullet. You still need, and it actually shows its highest efficacy when used in conjunction with other prevention tools. And of course, you need strong diagnostics and treatment in place. And so, you know, we don't want to be lured into thinking that, you know, we can vaccine a population and cases will automatically go down. It really is requires a more comprehensive effort. Really? Okay. So that was going to be my next question, which is, you know, there are other ways to control malaria spraying and, and bed nets and also, you know, surveillance and, and treatment, but like what makes vaccines an important part of this mix? If it's not like a silver bullet, why are vaccines useful here? I think they're an important tool and in part, and maybe it's just worth saying that you know, these vaccines really do target young children. So, you know, currently a child dies every minute from malaria. It had been every 30 seconds. So it was every 90 seconds. It went up to every two minutes. And now it's back to a child dying every minute from malaria. And that means, you know, almost half a million kids die from malaria every year. So these vaccines actually target and and are specifically made for children starting at six months old and they're four dose vaccines. And so what the results have shown is that it isn't incredibly effective in terms of reducing morbidity, mortality. Again, it's just that we want to ensure that there's a wraparound health services that you're not just just relying on the vaccine. Um, we've seen in the case of COVID vaccines, right? COVID vaccines are very effective. They help to ensure that we don't have the most severe cases of COVID, but we still need to take precautions to ensure that sort of best case scenario to try to prevent against COVID. So, you know, with malaria, we just need to ensure that we're still sleeping under bed nets, 
vet or other prevention, whether it's IRS. That's indoor residual spraying, right? That's right. Yeah. IRS is indoor residual spraying or, you know, larval source management. And then, of course, you need to have diagnostics in place to ensure, you know, detect from malaria or another cause of a fever. And then, of course, treatment to ensure that kids don't stay sick and that they're able to recover. And then, you know, there are going to be other vaccine candidates that are in the pipeline that hope to have even higher efficacy. And so that's always a dream and something that will continue to be worked on and developed. So earlier you mentioned that these vaccines helped reduce child mortality by about 13%. Is there any data to suggest how much these vaccines reduce serious illness that doesn't quite lead to death, but nevertheless is you know a drain on, on families' resources and childhood health? So, you know, I have not seen specific percentages of reduction of morbidity. What I have seen, and I know the WHO has said, is that there is substantial reduction in hospitalizations. So I think it probably depends on the country. And again, it's been piloted in three countries. And then this is the first time it's being full scale rolled out. So I think there's a lot of effort right now to continue to track really closely um, what countries' experiences are once this has been rolled out sort of at a larger scale. And so I think we'll know more in the coming years in terms of specific metrics around reduction of morbidity. But there has been very positive findings in terms of ensuring that kids aren't as sick as they would have been at the like local and community level. So in January, Cameroon became the first country to include malaria as part of its routine childhood vaccination campaigns. Like, What did this entail and why is it considered such a milestone? Yeah, so this is a, it's a really exciting, it's a big deal. You know, Cameroon is one of, I think it's the 11th most endemic country in the world. And as mentioned, you know, really important because 94 to 95% of deaths worldwide take place in Africa and particularly are focused in about 10 or 11 countries is sort of the highest concentration of cases. And again, disproportionately affects young children, pregnant women. And so this is a really big deal. This is you know the first time the RTSS or a malaria vaccine has been rolled into a routine immunization program following the pilot studies. And you know, this took a lot of, of course, a lot of planning and took a lot of collaboration between the various agencies. So the World Health Organization worked with Gavi, which is the Vaccine Alliance, UNICEF, Africa's CDC, and, and CHI, the Clinton Health Access Initiative, to really work with national health authorities and programs to ensure, really strengthen the vaccine introduction measures. So, you know, anytime before you introduce a new vaccine into a system, you have to really have comprehensive preparation that includes, you know, adopting that into the national vaccine policy and guidelines, helping develop an operational plan, uh, training the health workers, and, you know, ensuring that there's support from the community, of course which we have seen that the demand has been high. But, you know, everything from infrastructure and vaccine storage, community engagement. So there's a lot that goes into the preparation and, of course, wanting to put into place, you know, strong monitoring and evaluation framework to ensure, you know, quality vaccine delivery and uptake. So this is, yeah, a really big deal. And, you know, I think the country's very excited to see and hopeful that it will significantly help shore up the health of young kids. And so are there other countries kind of waiting in the wings? 
to see how Cameroon did it and, and replicate whatever success they might have or correct whatever challenges they might have faced? So I think 28 African countries have applied for support from Gavi to integrate the malaria vaccine into the program. And I believe they've already approved around 20 countries. So I think I saw, I think it was Burkina Faso, perhaps, um, that is sort of one of the countries next in line. So I think countries are really eager. And again, any tool that will help, you know, protect their next generation of kids and help prevent against a preventable, treatable, but, you know, potentially very deadly diseases is really significant. So there's, again, there's been really high demand and interest in this vaccine. So while there is high demand, you mentioned earlier that there's always this question of funding. Will the international community countries that can't pay for it themselves get the support they need to roll out this vaccine as part of just a routine childhood vaccination campaigns? So what are the challenges on the funding side and Where are some of the key inflection points going forward that will suggest whether or not there is sufficient funding for this kind of routine childhood vaccination programs that include malaria? I think the major body that delivers vaccines is Gavi Alliance, and they will have, I believe they're they're going to be developing their investment case over the course of this year. And then the replenishment, which is when, you know, essentially they do a call for support is going to be likely early 2025. And so I think right now Gavi is sort of deliberating and figuring out how to incorporate this into the investment case. And knowing that there are less expensive vaccines out there. And so, you know, there's always decisions that have to be made in terms, unfortunately, it's, you know, we don't want it to be a zero sum game, but sometimes it is the reality of, you know, if you've fund one thing, you can't fund another. And I think they're just in that process of determining what can be incorporated into their investment plan. And then frankly, how much money are they able to raise next year to ensure that they can carry out the plans that they hope to, you know, in countries. But again, it's tricky because, you know, WHO is also going to be going through a funding cycle as well as the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. And so there's a lot of need and a lot of demands. And I think Again, we need to ensure that there's a balance in terms of resources to ensure that Global Fund has significant funding for this next replenishment cycle that also is a comprehensive malaria approach. And so it's going to be a really interesting year or so um, to figure out how this is going to work. But we also need endemic countries you know, to step up as well in terms of increasing their resources and their commitment, allocating from their health budgets as well. So it really takes sort of all partners and as well as private sector, you know, coming together to continue building the innovation pipeline and, you know, the commitment to to ending the disease altogether. Because it is true that the malaria vaccine is exciting and an important tool. And again, you know, we need more of that if we're really going to achieve our ultimate goal, which is ending malaria for good. So to that end, we now have these two vaccines which is the product of years and years uh, of research. Is there any innovation in the future, in the pipeline potentially, that you think would be particularly impactful to getting to that ultimate goal of ending malaria? I mean, there's several. I think ultimately you would love to have a vaccine like you have with polio that you know is extremely highly efficacious. So that, I think, continues to be a dream. 
and a goal, obviously. But in lieu of that, there are some exciting developments. So, you know, and I'm not a total expert in this, but genetic modification of mosquitoes is also showing a lot of promise, essentially trying to, because it is a female Anopheles mosquito that carries, you know, Felsiprum malaria, which is the most deadly strain. And so looking at ways in which we can influence and, and reduce the ability for mosquitoes to carry the malaria parasite. And so there's a lot of really interesting work being done by Target Malaria and Oxitec and others on that front that the Gates Foundation have been investing in. You know, they've worked effectively against some other vector-borne diseases like dengue and other mosquito species. Bed nets and indoor residual spraying will continue to be absolutely critical and cornerstones of malaria prevention, and especially those that have incorporated new ingredients that overcome pyrethroid resistance. But frankly, insecticide resistance will continue to be you know, a challenge because the mosquito evolves. And there is some thought and work being done to develop other tools that are also better fit for like humanitarian settings or refugee settings. So larval source management, you know, which is essentially trying to sort of kill the mosquito at the larval stage as well as things like spatial repellents, which essentially could potentially be effective at reaching mosquitoes that don't necessarily bite just at night. Because of course, you know, for a bed net to work, you have to be sleeping under it. But what we found is mosquitoes are actually evolving a little bit to be day biters at times. And in the case of Anopheles stevensi, seem to be day biters as well as outdoor biters and are more prevalent in urban settings, whereas typical malaria-carrying mosquitoes have been largely at night, largely indoors, and largely more rural settings. So there are some new tools that are being developed to address, you know, Stephen Sai. You know, I think bottom line, I don't know that it's one or the other. It could be, you know, maybe it could be a vaccine that has, you know, 90 plus percent efficacy, but it also may require sort of a more holistic approach and also working cross-sectorally, you know, with other, not just with health programs, but with infrastructure. Um, that's in part how we, you know, we eliminated malaria in the U.S. in 1951, and it was because there was a really comprehensive multi-sectoral approach that worked to achieve that goal. So it requires land management, agriculture, you know, infrastructure, of course, working with Minister of Finance as well. So lots to do, but it's definitely, you know, an exciting time. And I do think this urgency and being at this sort of inflection point is galvanizing partners to really try to pull heads together and work together in new ways. Well, Margaret, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Global Dispatches. The show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg. It is edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to follow the show and enable automatic downloads to get new episodes as soon as they're released. On Spotify, tap the bell icon to get a notification when we publish new episodes. And of course, please visit globaldispatches.org to get on our free mailing list, get in touch with me, and access our full archive. Thank you. <laughs>